of that this morning. Let us, let us turn our hearts and our minds to this very, very important passage of Scripture that is rich and full of meaning and significance. I do dare say that in the time I this morning that I will not uh, do justice to all that is um, within this passage of Scripture, uh, but I do hope by God's grace and in his spirit that we will be able to lift out from here what I think are important truths for us to understand not only the history of redemption and the scriptures in which we find ourselves, but even um, God's plan for our own lives and redeeming his people from sin. Amen? Amen. But before we do that, let me just say if you are visiting here with us this morning, uh, we are thankful that you are here. We praise God uh, for you. We do pray that um, you would uh, be encouraged by your time that you have here at East Point Church. If you have any questions at all, please do not hesitate to ask uh, one of us. We would be glad to assist you in any way that we possibly can. Um, I'm sure that um, all of us know that this is Thanksgiving season. And so some of us have already, some of our members have already um, gotten on the road um, going to visit family and friends for Thanksgiving. Many of us have friends and family coming into town for Thanksgiving. But uh, with all that said, we do thank the Lord once again uh, for this time of year where we are reminded of his many blessings and the grace that we receive even as a community here at East Point Church. Amen? Amen. So before we go into God's word, let us give him thanks and, and pray that uh, he would indeed make this word of God effectual in our hearts this morning. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do uh, once again come humbly to your word. Uh, we ask that you would give us grace, Lord, as the song says, and faith. We do understand what we ask, Lord, but there is nothing more precious to us than, uh, than your grace and the faith, Lord, to believe and receive it. And so we do pray uh, for more faith, Lord. We pray for more grace. Thank you, Lord, for the word, testimony that is our brother Joseph. As we are going through his life, we pray that the, the lessons we learn, indeed, oh Lord, the message that is communicated to us will be one that causes us to lift our hands in praise and offer our hands in, in worship and service. For you are our only and true God. Thank you for your spirit this morning. May he be our teacher. Illuminating once again. Your word. To your people. We thank you and we pray in Jesus name. Amen. I'm sure that. Um. Most of us in here like movies to some degree or another. And when you read in the Old Testament, uh, you can often see why so many movies have been made concerning the events uh, in the Old Testament, the events in the scriptures there. One of the greatest uh, dramas that we find in the Old Testament is the drama that we know of Moses as he goes before Pharaoh. Many movies and animations have been made concerning it. It has become part of our folklore as a culture. Whether or not you know much about the Bible, you do know some aspects of the story of Pharaoh and Moses. And Moses appearing before Pharaoh in Egypt under the charge and the command of God to tell Pharaoh what? Let my people go. Let my people go. All of us are familiar with those words, whether or not we read them in the Bible or uh, we learned them from watching the movie or VB 
CBS or Sunday School or, or something. But have you ever asked yourself the question? Oh, they got me on now. How about that? We good, Pat? Do I need to repeat all that I said before so that we can make sure we get that? No, we're going to cut that out. All right. <laughs> have you ever asked yourself the question, how did we get here? You know about the grand drama that is the Ten Commandments, and you know about the grand drama that is the plagues in Egypt, and you know about the grand drama of Moses before Pharaoh, telling Pharaoh to, that God said, let my people go. But have you ever asked yourself the question, how did we get here? How did we get to the plagues? How did we get to the Red Sea? How did we get to the Ten Commandments? One of the most foreboding prophecies in all the scriptures, beloved, is found in Genesis chapter 15 and verse 30. It is the promise and the prophecy that the Lord our God made to Abram when he told Abram, know for certain that your offspring will be sojourns in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there and they will be afflicted for 400 years. Beloved, we look at our sin and even more so the unrighteous acts of others. And we wonder, how could God allow such a thing? We look at the unrighteousness in the world and, and all of the grief and the strife that are heaped upon people and persons and, and we identify with certain of those people and persons and we wonder... How could God allow such a thing? It is hard to fathom. As we look in our world, all of what we regard as inhumane treatments and, and hatred and, and bitterness and racism and nationalism, and imagine that somehow, some way, God is working his will for his glory. It is hard to imagine that, and therefore most of us don't. We never get to the grand picture of what God is doing because we focus our minds and our attention so much on our own immediate lives. fact of the matter is, beloved, God told Abram long before anybody ever knew or could conceive or imagine a Moses that Abraham's descendants would be slaves in Egypt. No one can say that slavery is ever a good thing. The horrors of the slave trade in the history of our own country, beloved, re remind us that such evil has no limits. And though we can and never should say that slavery is a good thing, we always say that God is good and that God being good is able and willing to work through evil means to bring about a good result. 
This is the ability to see the grand picture of things even while we're living in our own, the minutia of our own reality. Like the first African slaves who were brought to this country in 1619 in Virginia, what we have this morning in our text is literally the beginning and the sinful seeds of the grand drama of Israel's long night in slavery in Egypt. This is how we get there. This morning, this is how you get Moses. This is how you get the plagues. This is how you get the parting of the Red Sea. This is how you get the Ten Commandments. This is how we get there. Here this morning, we will see the sinful seeds of this grand drama that is Israel's long night of captivity, beloved. And here is the remarkable thing this morning that the sin is not the Egyptians. The horrors that lead to Israel's long night of captivity is the sin of Israel itself. As brother sells brother into slavery. I don't have a happy message this morning. Because like I said, this here is among the most wretched passages of Scripture in the Bible. If you ever made to see it. For it reminds us, beloved, of the true nature of sin. And it's horrific results. Sin is disastrous. It is disastrous, beloved. The Bible is this grand drama of redemption, just like our lives, that is played out, beloved, against this black backdrop that is sin. And it's sin that gives the drama its context. It is sin that gives the drama its antagonist. It is sin that actually solidifies the nature of the drama. That is redemption. That even makes it so compelling. Because sin is so bad. You ever watch a movie? You know what makes the movie compelling, beloved? Because there is somebody evil or wicked in the movie, and you're hoping that in the end they get their just desserts. And you're waiting. You're hoping, whether it's a superhero or someone or scheme that comes along. And whether you realize it or not, it is that antagonist that grips your attention. In the hopes that they would be brought down. 
stand up and clap in the theater when the superhero comes and destroys the wicked enemy. That makes drama. Sin is the enemy. The wicked enemy and the drama of redemption. And that is what makes the drama. We see it here this morning. Because the world has never known a more wicked enemy than the sin itself. It is disastrous, beloved. Whenever you see sin, it is like a Category 5 hurricane. It comes sweeping in. It is like an earthquake that registers 10 on the Richter scale. It is like the tsunami upon a soul. It is disastrous, beloved. And because it is so disastrous, sin is devastating. For it sweeps in and it leaves in its wake wrecked lives, wrecked homes, wrecked relationships, wrecked minds, and wrecked hearts, and wrecked bodies. It leaves you and I longing for relief, longing for reconciliation, longing, beloved, for restoration. This is what we see this morning in this account of Joseph and his brothers. You heard last week of the nature of their relationship, the relationship of their father to his son. They're shepherds. And Jacob's older sons are out shepherding the flock. They've had to travel quite a bit of ways to find the necessary pastures to shepherd them. And Jacob has lost track of where they are. And he tells Joseph, Joseph, I want you to go and I want you to find your brothers. Locate them and report to me their welfare. Joseph, being the faithful and obedient son, immediately takes up the task of his father to go and to locate his brothers and report on their welfare. He gets where they were supposed to be, and they're not there. He asks around, and they say, someone tells him, no, they have traveled on a little further. And Joseph, being the faithful son and taking his charge from his father very seriously, he doesn't just turn around and say, Dad, I couldn't find them, but he goes even further. And determines that he is going to find his brothers. And when his brothers see Joseph coming, they recognize the coat, the coat, the cloak that he has received from his father, the cloak of many colors, color, of colors that Joseph is wearing. They know it is Joseph. And immediately the Bible says they begin to conspire against him. And right away, beloved, we are reminded of the nature of sin. Sin is divisive. Joseph's brothers, they were against him. I mean, they were really against him. And the reason that they were against him, beloved, is because sin had been allowed to take root in Jacob's house. Jacob's house was divided. 
brothers against brother. And in the midst of that house, there had taken root the root of bitterness. And it had begun to spring up and to bear fruit. The brothers, because of their sin and their hatred and their bitterness, began to conspire to kill Joseph. Because, beloved, the Bible says that not only were they jealous of Joseph, but it says in verse 4 of chapter 37, they hated Joseph. Where does hate come from, beloved? Hate is the fruit of the root of bitterness. And when you allow bitterness to take root, sooner or later it, later it will spring forth in hatred. And this here, beloved, is a particular kind of hatred. Now, there is the hatred of indifference. When you can hate somebody and just be indifferent to them. You don't like them, but you don't care one way or another. You don't want to hear them, you don't want to see them, you don't talk about them. You just swear their name will never more be on your lips or in your home. Well, that's a hatred, beloved, that the Bible condemns. But then there is another hatred, and it is a malicious hatred. And it is the hatred where you're not indifferent to them, but you want bad to happen to them. And not only do you want bad to happen to them, but you are interested in orchestrating that you are, there is malice in your heart. And you are not going to rest until something terrible, destructive, happens to them. This is the hatred with which Joseph's brothers hated him. It was malicious. They wanted his undoing. Whenever sin comes, beloved, it brings this type of division. This is what it does. It brings this animosity. It brings this envy. It brings this jealousy. It brings this malice. It brings alienation. It separates people. That's what happened in the garden. When sin came in, Adam and Eve became separate. This is what happened with Cain and Abel. When sin came in, Cain and Abel became separate. Sin alienates us from God. That's what it does. We were created for relationship with him. And what happens when sin comes in? It breaks that relationship with our creator. And so Isaiah chapter 59 and verse 2 says this. Your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. And before, while you were in relationship with God because of sin, now you and I, because of sin, were born in enmity with God. And your sins have hidden his face from you. Sin not only causes division and alienation from God, but it alienates us from nature and the created world. Men and women were created in the garden to be in harmony with all that is around them. The earth was to serve humanity and humanity was to serve the earth. But because of sin, now we struggle against our world. We struggle against the wind. We struggle against the rain. We struggle against the ground. 
floods and droughts and diseases and sicknesses. It alienates us from nature. It alienates us from God. And it alienates us from each other. This is where we get the fights and strife and the wars between nations, between families, within families, between churches. When that sin comes, you know what happens. We become suspicious of one another. This is what Joseph's brothers were. Suspicious of him, every word he said. They thought he had some ulterior motive. They thought he had some ulterior plan of overtaking them and dominating them and ruling over them. And they were suspicious of him. Everything he said, everything he did, they were always suspicious of him, which led to bitterness, which led to hatred. Begins, beloved, because of sin that we begin suspicious of each other, begin to question one another's motives. Parents suspicious of their children and children suspicious of their parents. Husbands suspicious of their wives and wives suspicious of their husbands. Brothers suspicious of sisters. And sisters suspicious of brothers. Which leads to bitterness, which leads to hatred. Sin does that, beloved. It disrupts relationships. And the relationships that should bring joy are suddenly the source of great pain. Because we allow suspicion and the root of bitterness to grow and fester in our lives. The Bible tells us where this comes from, beloved, in James chapter 3 and verse 15. This is the work of the enemy. This is not from heaven. This is not spiritual. But the Bible tells us that jealousy and bitterness and envy do not come from God, but these are the work of the devil, beloved. This is why, beloved, it is so important that Christians always have what the Bible says is the mind of Christ. It is to be setting ourselves and our minds on things above and not on things below. Why? It is because Christ, beloved, in Christ we find the end of division. In Christ, we find the gospel that takes down and breaks down walls of bitterness and those things that divide us so that in Christ, the Bible reminds us that there is no black or white. In Christ, there is no Democrat or Republican. In Christ, there is no male or female. There is only Christ. When you are in Christ, beloved, and truly have set your mind on the things of Christ, envy has no place because you rejoice with those who rejoice. Jealousy has no opportunity to take root because you are happy for your brothers and sisters when they receive the gifts and the blessings of God. There'd be no room for bitterness because you know no one has anything except it as God who has given it to them. In Christ, those who were once enemies, they become friends. So they are no longer foreigners or strangers but they are as the Bible says in, in, in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 20 
fellow citizens and members of the household of God. This is what sin did in the house of Jacob. It tore apart so that they no longer saw Joseph as a member of their father's house. They only saw him as an enemy. Sin does. It divides. And not only is sin divisive, beloved, but sin is deceitful. Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 13 reminds us that we are to encourage one another so that none of us, get this, beloved, we are to encourage one another so that none of us is taken captive by the deceitfulness of sin. When was the last time you really thought about the deceitfulness of sin? You know what deceit means? Deceit means to conceal or misrepresent the truth. That's what it means to deceive. That's what it means to be deceitful. It is to conceal or misrepresent the truth. And if that's the case, sin, beloved, is deceitful. It is deceitful because it lies in wait for the opportune moment to trounce. And you do understand that if sin actually came at us as sin, we would flee from it. But sin doesn't come to us as sin. It misrepresents itself. It conceals the truth. It is deceitful. It is darkness, but it poses itself as light. It is a demon, but it sounds like an angel. It is made up to look pretty. Reality is ugly as dirt. It is deceitful, beloved. And when sin comes in and begins to work its deceit, when we get caught in it, we deceive ourselves. We deceive ourselves. And this is what happens with Joseph's brothers. They have been taken captive by the deceitfulness of sin and now they are, they are captivated by self-deceit. They believe that their problem is Joseph. They believe that the anger and the bitterness and the jealousy and the envy in their heart is due to Joseph. This is the nature of sin in our lives, beloved. It causes us to see others as our problem rather than our own heart. You think it's your wife that's causing you issues. Could be. But if you did some checking and surgery on your own heart. You think it's the husband that is the problem. The job. The employer. The weather. That is the nature of sin. You get bitter. You get resentful. And you get angry at someone else. 
And all the while, sin is eating at your own heart. Because of the bitterness. Because of the anger. Because of the hatred. It's deceitful, beloved. And not only would it cause you to deceive yourself, but then that leads to deceiving others. It's what happens when sin comes in, beloved. It began to deceive one another. And so it is. The serpent came into the garden. He deceived Eve. And what does Eve do? She deceives Adam. Sin comes in. What happens? Jacob deceives his father Isaac. And what happens? Laban then deceives Jacob. And now what happens? The sons of Jacob deceive their father. Do you see what happens when sin takes root, beloved? It is deceitful. It causes us to deceive ourselves and to begin to deceive those around us. Sin is deceitful too, beloved, in its popularity. You do know that, right? Deceives you into thinking that, well, it can't be too bad because everybody's doing it. Bible says, Jesus, Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7 and verse 13, for the, for, the, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction and what happens? On that way there are many. Why? Because sin deceives you in its popularity. It can't be wrong since that's the way everybody is going. Sin not only deceives us in its popularity, it deceives us in its promises. There is, the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 25, uh, chapter 11, verse 25, there is a pleasure in sin for season. And because sin promises immediate pleasures, it's deceiving because it is, again, concealing and misrepresenting the truth. For the truth is, beloved, that there may be short-term pleasure, but there is long-term pain. It promises satisfaction. But you ever notice the more that you drink of it, the more thirsty you get? Promises freedom, but it just seems that the more free you are, the more in bondage you get. It promises a better life, but in the end, it brings nothing but death. Why? Because sin is deadly. Really is, beloved. Jacob sent Joseph to get a report on the welfare of his brothers. The brothers bring back to Jacob a report of death of their brother. How does that happen? Because the end result of sin is always death. It's always death, beloved. And here is where you see the deceitfulness of it because the brothers believe themselves getting rid of Joseph would mean their freedom. But actually what their sin did was put them even more into bondage. 
and not only them, but their children's children for the next 400 years. They thought that they would once again bring life to their house. No more Joseph. And what they actually brought was death. For when Jacob heard of the death of Joseph, he was inconsolable. And he said that I will go down to the grave now with my son. The death of Joseph that was reported to Jacob by his sons, beloved, get this. It was not that he was shot. It was not that all of a sudden he fell off a cliff and died suddenly. They report to him that he was devoured by an animal. Now imagine Jacob, in his love for Joseph, having a picture in his mind, his son being ripped to pieces, and the pain and the horror that Joseph experienced in Jacob's mind. And this all because of the sinfulness of his sons. They take no thought for Joseph. They take no thought for their father. It's the nature of the wickedness of it all. The goal of sin, the Bible says, in Romans chapter 6 and verse 23 is, the wages of sin is death. And the brothers, more than anything, desired the death of Joseph. It's what they wanted. Can you read those words in verse 20 and not be amazed? When they say, come now, let us kill him. Come now, let us kill him. Beloved, since the days of Cain and Abel, there has not been more disappointing or wretched words spoken in the Bible. They would kill their own brother. They would kill their father's son. This illustrates as much as anything, beloved, the depth of depravity. I would suggest to you this morning that there is nothing in the Old Testament quite as equal. The depravity of Jacob's sons against Joseph. They would kill him. They would take his life with their own hands. And instead, they sold him into slavery. And you know why? Because they didn't realize that they themselves were sold under sin. Captive, enslaved, in bondage to sin. They think nothing of their brother. 
than that he is an animal, a worthless, worn-out beast of burden for which you have no more use, but then you try to get whatever you can for it. And they sold him for a mere 20 pieces of silver. They think nothing of their father, his heart, his pain, the heartache that they would cause him in his old age. Beloved, to read this account is to see the hatred and the selfishness and the vengefulness, the unconscionable sinful actions of these men is without peer. And yet, here is an even more amazing reality. Jacob sent Joseph to see about his brother. His brothers seek to kill and sell Joseph into slavery. But God sent Joseph to Egypt to save the very sinful brothers who would slay Joseph. I don't know about you, brothers and sisters, but if Joseph's brothers can be saved, Anybody can be saved. Here is the message, beloved, of our text this morning. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. Your sin in your life may be working death for you and death for those around you. But God has a bigger, grander scheme that he is working out your salvation. This is amazing, beloved. Sin and unrighteousness worked its life, death upon Joseph. And affected him greatly, beloved. Joseph left his father's house. He left the land that had been promised to them by God. Just to go and to see about his brothers. He had no idea that he would never again return to that home. You do know, beloved, sin and the unrighteousness of others affected Joseph's life greatly. But you know what it didn't do? It didn't kill him. Why, beloved? Why? Because God would not allow it to kill him. You are here this morning. God hasn't allowed sin to kill you either. I don't care how bad it looks. I don't care how desperate it seems. Whether it is your sin that has you going down to the grave or whether it is the unrighteous sins of others in this world, in this society, in your home. If you are here this morning, God has not allowed it to kill you. He has not taken your life.
but he has been gracious to you, beloved. He has this morning reminded you that I don't care how much sin abounds, his grace and mercy abounds more. I don't care how great the sin, beloved, God's grace is greater still. God is greater. Greater. He's greater than plots and schemes. God is greater. He's greater than kings and queens. He is greater. He's greater than sin, and he's greater than hell. He's even greater, beloved, than I this morning can tell you. He is greater. You ever wonder how you got here? You got here because God orchestrating a grand drama of redemption. And the antagonist in your life is sin, but he has sent a Savior. And he has died on the cross. And the story ends Satan and sin and your enemy being destroyed. And the hero is Jesus. It's Jesus. That's how we got here. Thank God this morning that we are here. Let us pray.